Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Wednesday night. Let's see if I can get in the um, Haftarah. We have a sponsor. Um, the Shulchman Zaytan and Ariel Shulchman. Kind of to sponsor this week. And next, actually. Um, and we had a good meeting with Eitan today. We had a, the, we had a wonderful Haknasa uh, Sefer Torah not long ago for the Shulchman family Torah in our shul. And uh, you can even go online and see all the pictures if you're the type you want. It's at jaketorah.com or something like that. And uh, anyway, thank you very much. By the way, I know Eitan's uh, grandmother, Mrs. Shulchman, the, the, the yard site will be on Monday. On Air of Rosh Hashanah, I remember very well. Uh, so, Nisham Shabbat <clears throat> This week, Lav Torah is, I think, the last of the Sheb and the Chemta, you know, I think. Uh, all those Isaiah prophecies, which are positive. Except that just like in our Parsha today, this is the Middle East, after all. It's not positive until not only you do well, but the enemy gets crushed. If you look in the Tzavim, it says, oh, you'll have a great time, you'll have a utopia. And then, And not only will you prosper, but your enemies will be crushed. The enemies, Asher who persecuted you. That's very Middle Eastern. You know, I always say, Merv Griffin used to say, it's not enough to succeed in life. Everybody else in your high school class has to fail. <laughs> that kind of a tech approach. Well, in the Haftarah, it's like that. You have uh, Isaiah... Picking up from where we, you know, it's been going through the 50s into the 60s, the last parts of the book of Shayol, which are all these glorious utopian prophecies that we've been speaking about the last several weeks. That's why they're called the Haftarahs of Nechama, of comfort. And now we get to Isaiah 61, 62, 63. And uh, my attention is uh, drawn to 63, where he talks about the destruction of Edom. Although I do want to point out, here's something cool. If you have, um, like, a good Mikris Gedolas, and I have this set now because of the kudos, you know, I, I got it, uh, I gave away my old one, I think. Now the, the new one, you get Yeshayo with the Bal Haturim, and uh, at the very end of 62, where it says, V'kar lemir kodesh guli adonoi lochi kredrusha, you will be called Am Kodesh, Guli Hashem, and you'll be called Drusha, Desired One, you know, Darish, and City Which Is Not Abandoned. That's a good thing, Lo Nezova. Um, and on that, the Baal Turin, I call it Chazal, this is just a handy thing for you to have if you want it. He lists the 70 names of God. Now, that's not the only way of doing it. Sometimes they do the letters, like Ani Vaho and all that. But what are the... Uh, it says, Irlo Nezova, 
Kineged Shivim Ish Shiardim Lemitzrayim, right? Um, when he says he learns up, he says Esu Shivim Ish. Uh, the seventy people went down to Egypt, and the seventy people that went down to Egypt in time of Yaakov Inu is Kineged Shivim Shem Sheish Al Kadosh Baruch Hu. God has seventy names, and then he gives it to you. El Elohim, Hashem. Then there's Echad. Then there's Odon. Then there's Adir. Then there's Eya. Then there's Amis, Amitz. Then there's Emes. Then there's Erchapayim. Then there's Achron, for a certain reason. Then there's Emuna. Then there's Eshkol Akofer. Then there's Bore, um, Baruch and Bore, and Godol, and Gea, you know, from Proud, Goel, Gibor, Dogul, Hayodea, Void, Zocher, Chai, Chosid, Chanun, Choker, Chasim, Chacham, Tov, Tahorinayim, Yashar, Yoshev Seser, Kabod Hamistatir, Nora, Nizgov, Netzach, No Tzachesed, No Siyavon, No Sipesha, No Sichet, No Kim, No Ter, it was revenge, Sela, Yoshev Kenim Sela, Saloch, Elyon, Ofer, that's with an ayin, Izuz, Pode, Sur, Tzvi, Tzvaos, Kadosh, Kano, Karov, Rachum, Rom, Rishon. So he's Achran, he's also Rishon. You say Emesato, Rishon, we Achran, right? Rav Chesed, Shomer, Shofet, Shulton, Sar, Shochenag, Tamim, Takiv. It is good to see, right? And um and connected that the Jewish people this this acute ball term to to have in the pocket. Uh it's at the very end of Isaiah sixty two. And then the Jewish people have seventy names. Now if you go through whole Tanakh and everything, you see them called by the different names. One is Ashis Nurim, Ali Hatzedek, Alufim, Achim, Ahuvim, Om, like Om La Om, you know. Aim, Ishim, Ephraim, Adirim, Atzilim, Egos, Ayuma, Aguda, Bonim, Benel Chai, Bechor, Behirim, I guess from Sefer Bohir, Biti, Bara, Beula, that's in this week's parishion. You'll be called Beula. Goy, Godol, Gan, Naul, Gal, Naul, Gefen, Huamusim, Unasuim, Zerakodesh, Chachamim, Tovim, Yechidim, Yekirim, Yisrael, well dog, Yeshurin, Yankov, Yosef, Yehudim, Yelodim, Yedidim, Kalo, Kano, Kerem, Kohanim, Mesharsim, Malachim, Mayan Chasum, Nachlo, Nadivim, Novo, Nar, Neta, Segula, Elyonim, Anavim, with a humility, Ada, Ivrim, Avodim, Amim, Peduim, Prusim, Son, Tzadikim, Kedoshim, Kenuim, Rabim, Rachim, Shiftiko, Tamimim, Adkan. Right? And then he says there are 70 names of Yerushalayim, but he doesn't list them. So, let's put it this way. If you want to become a medieval poet, or something like that, here's your list. Because you can say, for example, uh, Izus will take care of Kawa. And I'm supposed to know, that's how the Kaleri works, you know. I'm supposed to know that Hashem is taking care of Kali Yisrael, something like that. 
because you pick from one from column A, 70, and pick from one from column B, 70. And if you have 70 names of Yerushalayim, you could even play with three. He says over here that there are 70 names of Yerushalayim, Huva B'yalkan HaMachiri Yishayo Islamic Base. So in the Yalka Machiri, which is a late uh, work, they list the 70 names of Jerusalem. It's just interesting, because a lot of times you hear about the 70 Shemos and things like that. Here you have a Balaturim, that's a Risham, and you got the whole list. Okay, now, um, so I'm sure you can use this somehow or other, if you want to. Uh, but my attention is drawn to uh, chapter 63. We get all the bloody business with the destruction of Edom. Right, Mizebo, how's it go? And this is Haftarah. Mizebo, me Edom, who's that coming in the distance from Edom? Chomus begum with Batrab, with all those, you know, clothes that are, um, uh, what do you call it, bloodstained. And uh, uh, from Batrab, which is an Edom city, it's a Uh He'd been dressed uh, majestically. Tobro of Kocha, marching with all his Kayach. Ani medabert tzedakah rav It's I, God, who's medabert tzedakah rav Okay? And then you see, Madu adam l'veshecha begadot kaderach begas. Why do you close so red? Well, you know, I killed them all. So it's the destruction of Edom. What's up is Edom? Let me put it to you this way. This is a pasuk in Yeshayahu. All these Avtorahs have been from Yeshayahu. And as I said repeatedly on these podcasts the last month or so, Yeshayahu lived in the time of Chizkiah Melch In his time, Edom was not the problem. Ashur was the problem. Later, Baba was the problem. Vosephus, the Yeshayahu, was talking about Edom all the time. Now, I don't say the Jews and the Edomites got along, but they're no different than Moab, Ammon, Aram, and all that, Plishtim, right? And you find elsewhere in Yeshayahu, and in the other prophecies, every once in a while, they curse and damn all the neighboring kingdoms because it's the Middle East. You know, uh, Masa Edom, Masa Damesek, uh, Masa Azor. You have all these things all the time. And there's no question that Adam were enemies and so on and so forth. However, they're not the big enemies. Why are we obsessed in history over here? And why is Yeshayo talking about somebody wiping out Edom, which certainly did not happen in his time? Um... All I can say is, so I don't know what the Pashat shot of that is. Right? What's the Pashat I'll be Pashat's? In its context. Why is Isaiah going off of here as part of his messianic, futuristic stuff in Tom Edom? Unless you say that he sees Adam as being away in the future, and that somehow or other it's going to be part of the messianic drama. Right? All that stuff, right? Go, go, Magog, who knows? I When I say who knows, who knows I mean it. Now, um, as a result, it's kind of obscure. And it's pretty bloody because he says, why are you all in there? I'll read in English. Why is your clothing red? Your garments like treading in a wine press? Oh, I tried the vintage alone. If you ever walk... Uh, you know, and if you do the, uh, if you make wine, you see, you know, like in the movies, you know, they step on the, you get your feet and your clothes all dirty, right? Meaning red. That's part of the work. You trample on the grapes and everything gets red. So here, I tried the vintage alone. 
That's a Anaisocene de Gloria. He tried the vintage or something like that. That's expression for bloody. No one from the nations was with me, which means, of course, that I had to fight for Claudius for myself. Hashem said nobody else helped. I trod them in my anger. I trampled them in my rage. Their blood spattered on my garments and stained all my clothing. This is a strange image that Hashem got his clothes dirty from killing Adam, uh, Adam. For I planned the day of vengeance and my year of redemption has come. There was no one to help and so I did it myself. I trampled people in my wrath and made them drunk in my rage and I cast their strength down to the ground. And that's the prophecy. Like I said before, it's a little, I mean, let's put it this way. Why don't we simply say Claudius Roll how should I phrase this? Why can't we have a liberal messianic future? The human race will come to see the error of their ways. Enlightenment will replace um, prejudice and darkness. They'll beat their sh- swords into plowshares. And everybody, you know, then everything will be great. And our enemies will no longer be our enemies. But instead, you have this business that, you know, the enemy has to be crushed in a very bloody way, as you just described before. So that the person, let me be very blunt. It's like somebody going into a sea, then killing right and left. You come out covered with blood. So it looks like you were wine press. That's how he's describing Vos Red Zion. Uh, you know, why and, and why Edom? Well, it's hard to answer that question. But, unless you simply say, you simply take a, a, a plain from approach and you say, listen, Yeshua saw the future. There will be an Edom out there in the year 20, not 2021, but maybe 2121, you know. And whatever, he, he knows what he's talking about. We don't know. Okay. No question, that's possible. But, already in the time of the Chazal and the Gemara, the Mishnah and Gemara, Midrashim, so they had already formed the idea that Edom was identical with Rome, and at that time Rome was ruling the world and crushing the Jews. And so, they were certainly convinced that prophecies talking about the bloody crushing of Edom is talking about Rome. Right? And one day, this terrible empire, which destroyed the base on Migdash, which killed so many Jews, which imposed such heavy burns on cholesterol, etc., etc., etc. One day they're going to go down. Okay, fine. And so, therefore, they always saw this um, prophecy as a very vengeful and comforting one. These is is like somebody would be in 1942 and seeing a vision: Hitler getting destroyed in Berlin, getting nuked, you know, with an H bomb. That kind of thing. I mean, you, can't, you hear you hear that. Okay? While Auschwitz was going on. You hear that. But what's that is in Rome? I mean, how does that come to Edo? Um, it's never been 100% clear. If you, it's very interesting that the Rishonim um, formed the, well, let me, let me, I'm thinking how to say this. So in the time of the Gemara, the Roman Empire was still chugging along very strong. So as far as the rabbis in the Gemara were concerned, at least as far as I can see, 
they thought the Rome of Julius Caesar and Hadrian all is going to go down. Which was always possible. The barbarians were always at the gates. The Romans were able to hold it together for a couple hundred years, which is identical to the period of Chazal. But eventually, the barbarians did bust them. But hold on for a second. Rome went down the tubes, but they didn't get destroyed by Mashiach. It wasn't a Geulah. The fall of Western Roman Empire in the 450s, I think it was, or four, whatever, in the 5th century, did not resemble Isaiah chapter 63. Nothing glorious about it, as far as the inner concerned. And the Eastern Roman Empire went on for a much longer time. So, the consensus formed that the Roman Empire was taken over, you know, became the Christian church, the medieval church. Where you get that from is not clear. But, listen closely. The relationship of Judaism and Christianity was Christianity emerging out of Judaism strikingly resembled or recalled the two brothers, Yaakov and Esau. Right? That was clear. Christianity didn't emerge out of nothing, Geshmiayan. So, it sounded, or it seemed like, some form of variation of a Yaakov and Esau. And since the Christians were persecuting the Jews big time in those years, uh, so, um, the Jews viewed it that way. Actually, actually, the Christians viewed it that way. As far as I'm aware, before the Jews even spoke about the Christians, because at the beginning they just thought the Christians are a, 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 a weirdo Jewish sect, the Minim, you find the early Christian writers, and there's no reason you should know this, this is what they call the fathers of the church. That's like the Tanoim and Amorim of Christianity. And they are writing that, yeah, we and the Jews are Yaakov and Esau. But we, the Christians, are Yaakov, and the Jews are Esau. After all, Esau was an older brother, but he was a jerk. Well, the Jews are older than us, and they're jerks. You see, they flipped it, or at least they came up with this. And there's plenty of writings. There was Tertullian, the other, you don't have to know this. But, you know, they really uh, played on this. Naturally, this Jew's, the Jews crazy, whoever was aware of these sort of things. And they said, for Herod, we're Yaakov and you're Esau. So how does the Christian become Esau? Well, Christianity took over Rome. Rome already had been identified with Edom. And the two come together into an image of Edom and, and, and Esau. So by the time you get to the Middle Ages of Rishonim, you look here in the Pesach, in Isaiah 63, and you'll see, and elsewhere in Yeshayo, you'll see your classic Mepharshan are saying, Edom here is Rome. Which in the Middle Ages, there was no Rome anymore. So they're talking about Christendom. The Christian rulers, the Christian states of Europe, or the Catholic Church maybe, which they saw as the great persecutors of the Jews. They barely let the Jews survive. There wasn't a chance in hell that the Jews go back to Israel or anything like that. And there's a whole study in science of historians of looking at the Mepharshim and pursuing how they, you know, look at um, Edom 
the Mise these Sukkim we're talking about, within the context of the Jewish image of, of Rome and of Christianity. So, for example, if um, you look at, uh, let's see here, Ibn Ezra, on this uh, beginning of 63, Who's this me? Zeb Bomi Adam Chomis Rebbanim Vatsra. Hatam Alexeir Shagazar Al Edom. Why Edom? Zeb Malchus Roma Constantina. This is equal to Rome and Constantinople, which is the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire. Vinikra Edomim. So why do you call Edom? But Boshen Nichnusu B'Torah Edom. I don't even know what the Benazir means. They entered the religion of Edom. Vezos Torah Shenikra Shem Edom. Right? And I guess they mean the New Testament. Nichnu Subatoris Edom, the Romans uh, entered into the Torah of Edom. So Edom would be the source of the Christian ideas came from. Shadomim Hamina Batchila Batoris Hoisha Yidua. That the New Testament started with the Edomites. But I can only imagine, they. it seems to me, if I understand this Ibn Ezra right, that the original followers of Jesus would be Edomites. They weren't Jews, although they were, at the time of the New Testament, leaving aside the question whether all this ever really happened existed, but I'm just going with the Hanukkah that it did for a second. So, um, if you're talking about the time of Yashka, so he had followers. Who would these followers be? They're Jews. No, they weren't Jews. Sure they were. You know, Peter, Paul, and Mary, you know. They're Jews. No, no, no. They were Edomian. How could that be? Well, that gets very interesting. Because shortly before the rise of Christianity, at least according to Josephus, some of the Hashemunayim rulers of the Jews, especially John Hercules and Judah Aristobulus, forcibly converted the Edomites to Judaism. Which was a big mistake. Now the Gemara doesn't mention this, but on the other hand, it could very well be true. It makes sense. They don't want to have a Palestinian problem, so therefore they forcibly convert everybody. Usually, we don't do in Jewish history, but that's what they did. And so you end up with a bunch of people that they were forced into Judaism, so therefore they didn't really believe it, and therefore they could totally hear ideas of Yashka and of Trinities and combinations of syncretism and paganism together with monotheism. And somehow these ideas penetrate in the Chazal. If it's if what they're saying is true, then it's not somehow these ideas penetrate into Chazal. That's what really happened. At least that's the Ibn Ezra's understanding of how it happened. And consequently, whenever you talk about the Romans and the Catholic Church and that sort of thing, you call them Edom because Nichnesul Betoris Edom. The Roman Empire adopted the religion of Edom, which you and I would call Christianity. So that the original Christians would have been, according to this version, um, not Jewish Jews, but Edomites have been forcibly converted to Judaism. <laughs> now we're wiggling out of it. And um, uh, what do you call it? Eventually, the, the Roman Empire in the 4th century switched to Christianity. So Nicholas Zubatar said, it's just a very interesting area, Ezra. I'm, I'm pointing that out to you. The first Christians 
the followers of Yashka were were um, from Edom. That's the assertion, and therefore when Yeshayahu is always preaching against Edom, today Ben Ezra, he's saying he prophetically foresaw the rise of this business, which would prove so devastating to the Jews. I mean, I don't know, you know, uh, and Radak refers you over here when he said the Radak of course also lived I guess in in, in Spain in southern France actually in, in Provence and Languedoc and um, the Radak is saying and he says check out what he wrote earlier which is the beginning of the 34th parak of Yishayahu I'm I'm, I'm uh, reading the Radak over here. Kirvu Gain Lishmo summoned the nations uh, to listen. Ulum Hakshivu Kiketsu Lashem will call Gain Bechem Otsvam. God is angry at all these nations. He'll pour wrath on them. And the Radak over here, and these are the classic Mephorshim, says Kirvu Gain Parsha Zu Asidi Bimosa Mashiach Fu Al Churban Edom, meaning Rome. So before the mission, before the final Geula happens, it'll um it'll be destruction of Rome. Um Romi Edomim, the Roman Empire, most of them were Edomites, Hamachzikim Betasa Notri, who followed uh, the early Christianity. So that's quite a statement. Malchus Romi was mostly Edomites. I mean, there, there were so many Edomites. Even though many other non-Edomites were part of the Roman Empire and mixed in and became Christians, but the Iker was the Edomites. And the Caesar was an Edomite. Where'd you get that from? I don't know where the doc gets that from. Julius Caesar was not an Edomite. Augustus was not an Edomite. You know what I mean? All the emperors in Rome were from Edom. So you see, this is this is the medieval Jewish view. And the prediction over here in the 34th parakel of is then we see the downfall of, of, of Edom, you'll see the return of the Jews to Israel. Which is thought-provoking, even though it's like a little bit problematic, because let's put it this way. It's pretty clear to me, as in mind, the Roman Catholic Church. As long as the Church was ruling Europe, listen closely to what I'm about to say. As long as the Church was ruling Europe, there was no chance they could ever Zionist movement and Jews go back to Israel or anything like that. The whole improbable story of the return of the Bnei Israel to Eretz Israel in the last 150 years, whatever, 30 years, you know, only is understandable against the idea of the downfall of the power of the Catholic Church and the rise of Protestantism and a specific form of Protestantism in the Anglo-Saxon countries. I'm talking about in England and America. And 
it's a, and, and with a strain of philo-Semitism, even though there was also anti-Semitism. And what all that means in, in, in simple words is the British had a different type of Christianity. They ended up being the top dog and ruling much of the world. They conquered Palestine in the First World War. And they issued the Balfour Declaration. And even though it's extremely problematic how they implemented it, but they did. So there's no way that a Catholic country would have said His Majesty's government views with favor the establishment of a national home for the Jewish people in Palestine. No way a Catholic country would say it. They just wouldn't. And believe you me, during World War I, a lot of the Chaim Weizmann politics was as follows. They saw Turkey's going to lose. The British and the French are going to carve up the Middle East. For God's sake, make sure that England gets Palestine. If France was a Catholic country, even though it was a republic, or Tsarist Russia was also a possibility, it would be a catastrophe for Claudius It's got to be England. Even though England was very problematic, and I know everything that happened in the 30 years between 1917 and 1947, but it's the best of all possibilities, and the mindset, in the end, it, it resulted in, in a Jewish country. Right? And it's remarkable to see Radak saying, when the power of Rome is broken, but I'm not finished. Because the Radak goes on to say, the Pasig is, um, where is it? Kirvu Gaim Lishma Lumi Hakshivu. He addresses the Gaim and the Lumi. And then he says, um, the whole universe. Viyamar, I'll call a Gaim. Kigam Malchisi Shmoel Techer Bismarazel. Before the final Gula, the Malchisi Shmoel will go down. Isn't that interesting? Which, that's what he is interpreting at the Ratak. Yeshayo doesn't say anything about Yishmael. Barova Goyim, Hain, and the Ratak says most of the people out there are either being Malchis Edom or Malchis Yishmael. These are belong to religion of Edom or the religion of Yishmael. Which was true at that time. Um, so it's just very interesting how we interpret and we see the downfall of one as being necessary for the other. Um, Rashi has a lot to say in subject, but for some reason not exactly here. In many other places, we talk very bitterly about Edom and Notesrim and all that. And uh, my good friend Bernie Leetag from Israel sent me a book recently, and as a matter of fact, Moshe Levy sent me an article about it, and then the book came, unexpectedly, from Professor Avram Grossman at Hebrew, who really knows his stuff, and he is Mr. Rashi. He studies um, the French Jewry, you know, and uh, I'm talking about the Rishonim time, in the 10 hundreds, and he has a whole book called Rashi Vahapulmus Hayyudi Banatri, Rashi and the Jewish Christian Polemic, or debate as we would say, and um, he has a whole chapter over here called Pirish Rashi Li Shayahu, in which I didn't read it yet, and I'm sure um, he'll have reference to our Pasuk over here, but I'm not going to take the time to do it. And he raises the very, very interesting question Ha'im Kosav Rashi is Pirushali Shayahu Lacha Zeris Tatnu. Did Rashi write his commentary to the book of Isaiah? after the Crusades, the First Crusades. 
because Rashi died in 1106, and the first crusade was in 1096. Uh, in which case, he would see Edom and Rome as they're stained with blood, and if he's seeing the rider in Yeshayahu coming and say, I've killed them all, he said, well, these were the guys who did the pogroms to the uh, Jews in the Rhineland and, and killed everybody so horribly uh, not so long ago. So all I'm saying is that you look at this Haftorah, and especially uh, the, the last part, which is the Churim part, and if you ask yourself the question, you know, what's exactly happening with the Edom part, um, I think you see that there's an idea out there that, um, you hear what I just said before? There comes out two types of Christianity has evolved in the last several hundred years. It's taken a long time for that to happen. A and B. In one type, it's very anti-Judaic and very anti-Jewish. Uh, the Jews are supposed to be a gullous people, a cursed people, and so forth and so on. But then there's another one that emerged, which is called the Jerry Falwell type, or, what, or the Balfour type, which is interpreted differently. And they say, no, you should help Israel. You know, like Trump or something. In which case, you end up with the old oracle that goes back, as one of the Mephoshim was saying before, to Yaakov and Esau. Because it says, Rav Yavod Sa'ir. And it can mean this, it can mean that. So we see over here in these prophecies about Edom, that can be interpreted in a positive way, and interpreted in a negative way. Um, it's interesting that we read this always at this time of the year. Together with the Psalm, of course, either right before Rosh Hashanah or right after. Because I think they did it, among other reasons, to remind you that Rosh Hashanah we're also supposed to daven, not for our own personal benefit. That too, no question about it. Your family, but for the situation of Kali Yisrael, uh, which is always on the point of a sword. Um, violence is increasing in this country, unfortunately, as we know. And so, I think it behooves us as we read this Torah that we should incorporate this into our Rosh Hashanah prayers and put a few thoughts in for the matzah of the Bnei Yisrael in Eretz Yisrael and around the world. And with that, I bid you a good week and a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.